Hi folks, my name is Glenn Joseph and welcome to another episode of Life Unplugged. Hi folks, Glenn. Hi folks, uh, my name is Glenn Joseph, of course, and welcome to the second episode proper of Life Unplugged. Um, you find me today a much huskier man than normal. Um, for those who now follow my, my kind of new career uh, in, in professional wrestling, uh, the company that myself and my business partners, Jim Smallman and John Briley, own, Progress Wrestling, had a big show last night, uh, Midweek Matters, Chapter 74, um, at the Electric Ballroom in London, and uh, safe to say, by the end of the show, uh, I had used kind of uh, everything that I had left in my voice, uh, not being a professional voice user now as such. Um, I suppose I'm not really taking the care that I used to when I was at, at drama school or indeed on the road or, you know, or performing, what have you. Um, but that's a lovely segue to somebody who is a professional voice user um, and the reason that uh, we have this podcast today. Chris Nelson, uh, also known as Chris Wilkins, um, was one of my favorite people I met at drama school. Uh, we bonded over professional wrestling uh, as it as it happens. Um, he was already, by the time he got to, uh, to to the GSA, the Guildford School of Acting, where we both trained, um, he'd already done professional productions, and he was kind of like somebody that we all we all looked up to. Um, and what Chris has been great at is uh, being a kind of uh, entertainment industry chameleon. Uh, he's very adaptable um, and great diversifying, and he's a great writer. He's a great voiceover artist, despite what he was told, and indeed I was told at uh, at drama school. Um, but we'll get to that in the podcast. Uh, but it was really delightful to sit down with somebody who, uh, I suppose, doesn't have any agenda. I think now, because I've stepped away from the acting industry as well, it's it's more about just being honest about it. And that isn't to say there's anything scathing in this, um, or indeed anything you know that's uh, in any way derogatory. It's just the kind of reality um, of, of the industry, and I think a lot of young actors will benefit from listening to, to Chris in particular. Uh, you will, of course, be able to tell in this podcast that I'm a little quieter than normal. Um, uh, that's that's due to, A, uh, us having to record in a certain venue that wasn't exactly ideal, uh, and B, to the fact that I sound horrendous today. Um, also the hottest day of the year, so you'll have to forgive us for, 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 for at least me for being a little bit quiet on this one, but the stuff I say isn't important, the stuff that Chris says is incredibly important. Um, before we get to the podcast, uh, just a little thing, if you go to my Twitter at Glenn underscore Joseph, the pinned tweet there um, is an auction, a charity auction, uh, myself and Finn Balor managed to find the uh, the last gear that he wore at the Progress World Cup show, which was his final independent appearance. So the lab coats, the, the guys who wheeled him to the ring, the Hannibal gear that he had on, which I think still has spatters of Jimmy Havoc's blood on somewhere. So yes, the uh, auction is on eBay. Uh, you can find the link via my Twitter. It's the pinned tweet at Glenn underscore Joseph. Um, but as far as everything else is concerned, I mean, we've got a pretty crazy week. Fly off to New York on uh, on Monday. So we've got some interesting things planned for, for Life Unplugged while we're over there. But in the meantime, if you're a young actor, uh, an actor in training, uh, indeed any creative in training, um, I really hope you enjoy this. Chris is a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful guest, very jovial, um, and he's had an incredible career. Uh, and he's an incredible father as well. So he's just an all-around good egg, as Jim Smallman would say. Uh, so uh, here we are, uh, Life Unplugged with Chris Nelson. Um, yeah, so uh, it's... Um, the hottest day of the year, of any year ever. In the world. Yep, we are both sweating out our holes here at the arts. Where are we, where are we at the arts? Upstairs at the it's arts. It's called Above the Arts. 
because you're a member. Yes. This is what happens when you become a writer. I know, this is where we had many, many meetings and we'd sit around and discuss what we were going to do and then six months later we'd action them. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also I've realised that we, you know, we have lovely jazz on in the background as well. Yeah, so if I start speaking in time to the jazz... <laughs> you can't do anything in time off to ribbons. jazz. <laughs> so, um, we just, just before we started discussing it, you said, you know, if we're talking about Eugenius, um, we need to be conscious of whether we use Chris Wilkins or Chris Nelson in the same way that some people know me as Glenn Robinson and Glenn Joseph. So, what do you go by day to day? Um, if my mum's asking me, it's Christopher. Um, no, but... It, so if I'm writing, I write under Wilkins, and then if I'm recording voiceovers or I'm acting, I go under Nelson, because it was an equity thing. When, well, we, yeah. when we left drama school, we had to acquire a name, so I took my name from the mascot of Portsmouth Football Club, which was a dog called Nelson. Um, so that's that's where I got my surname from. But when we started on the show, it was advised to me to keep those things separate. So mm-hmm. I went back under my own name, which was quite nice to have my actual name, my family name featured on on something. But it does get very confusing. So I've tried to do Wilkins slash Nelson on anything I... Does anybody ever call your wife, like Fran Nelson? Um, no, but her... Granddad does put cards to me that says Nelson, and he knows full well my name's Wilkins. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back to the the beginning. Obviously, before we go down the Eugenius journey and the business side mm. and the writing and the moving from one thing to the other. So, we met on our first year at Guildford School of Acting, now known as the GSA Conservatory, now known as the Acting Wing of the University of Surrey. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, incorporating actor musicians and all sorts of things going yeah. on there now. Which is yeah. another thing that I'm sure I will talk about yeah. a, a, another time on, on, on this, um, because that's another kind of diversification. So when when we met in our first year, I think everybody had the same dreams and aspirations of like, I'm going to go and be in the West End and as, a, as an actor, like mm. A, mm. or in our case, actors, singers, dancers. Too <laughs> 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 mental. Um, we yeah we we it's safe to say myself and Chris weren't the uh, yeah we weren't the, we weren't the greatest. You were quite good at tap. I could tap. Yeah, I was. I put on my CV, fat lad that can move. So <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to do. Did you at some point? Because I know over the course of the process, you'd done a lot of stuff in Portsmouth. Mm. You've already done stuff in uh, Stevenage. So yeah. You've done professional productions. Yeah, and I'd, I'd done a few uh, jobs at the Palladium, and I'd done a few bits in in London and stuff. Um, so. Yeah, it was kind of a strange way to go about it, really, because I kind of worked and then went back and trained because I wanted to build a career that would last me beyond you know what I was doing at that time, and I didn't think I had the skill set to survive well, what is now and we leave 2012 years, 13 years after you know going. So I was trying to give myself a bit of longevity by going to drama school. Right. So <clears throat> you chose Guildford. Was there any reason you chose the GSA? Yeah, I'll be honest. It's the only one I auditioned for. Um, I had no intention of going to some of the others, not because I didn't like them, but I did a summer school there a year before just to kind of get a sense of whether I liked them mm-hmm. or not, and I actually really enjoyed the surroundings. I liked the vibe of Guildford as it was then, where it was a, a mixture of buildings that were all full of character and you kind of made the most of the situation in the rooms you were in. You must get that, and you sort of set yeah. menus where you have uh, progress, where you kind of go, okay, this is the room we've got, we'll, we'll make it make it work for what we're doing so I really liked that and I thought that was really creative and I didn't really want to be in London the whole time because it, it can get very showbiz 
Yeah. And I liked the fact that outside of the... You say that while we're in a members-only bar in yeah, the Yeah, well, things change, darling. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, no, I just liked the idea of being able to go home or go to the pub afterwards and not feel like I'm surrounded by the West Ends that are putting pressure on me to do that. Yeah, okay. So, Did anything, because for me it changed, because when, uh, and I do mean this with the utmost respect, when we, in our first year, you were somewhat of a golden boy, because you'd already, like, even to me, like, you'd already done professional shows. Mm. You were in a kind of diff- a different league, and something I think, by the time that you left in the third year, it almost felt to me like you'd, I don't know, become savvy to the job more so than a lot of other people, and knew that you were going to have to diversify, not just go like like I, from literally from the day that myself and, and Dave graduated, like Dave obviously you know one of our, mm. our best friends who I lived with for a few years, um, we kind of just went right. We're just going to audition, and we're just going to be unemployed and audition, and something will happen. And it seems that you were a little bit more business savvy than that because you'd already started directing. Mm. Uh, you see assistant directing, then you moved into like your like, and I know that I think that I've had a kind of fairly uh, eclectic career in life. Like you've been a, an assistant director, you've been a director, you've directed some of the like, Hollywood stars. Like like you did, you've been like a year after, two years after we graduated, yeah. you were assistant directing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I did my first uh, assistant directing job the year after we finished, uh, and then yeah, so I was twenty. Three when I did my first directing job. Uh, was that after you graduated? You're, yeah. You were what, two years older than me? Yeah, so I, I left at 23. So that was, yeah, so, yeah, pretty yeah, much yeah, the yeah. same year you yeah. graduated. Um, who is the. Because I've spoken about like Vern and stuff before, people that I've worked with, but who was the biggest celeb, celeb that you, you directed? Well, historically, I suppose, the, the, in terms of who was the biggest celebrity, it was working with Mickey Rooney, Oscar winner <laughs> Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Um, yes. So I worked with him when he was, I think he was about 87. Mm-hmm. So he'd been in the business for about 80 years. <laughs> um, and uh, he was booked to do Panto in Milton Keynes that I was asked to go and uh, work on. And he was going to play Baron Hardup. And uh, he just finished doing Night at the Museum too, And he was stuck in Milton Keynes doing a Panto with me. So um, we had an interesting few months together. I learned so much from him. He was, you know, he was obviously old and and tired, um, but when he got, like, so if you were in the wings with him, he was quite tired, because uh, it was long days for him doing two shows. But once he got on stage, he came alive, and for that time that he was on stage, his eyes, you could just see a sparkle in his eye, and he'd come to life, and then he'd sit in the wings with me, and then he'd, he'd tell me stories about how he worked on getting Frank Sinatra guys and dolls and um, how he obviously worked with Judy Garland and you know his time in the golden era of Hollywood so it was um, unbelievable and I missed my cues so many times because <laughs> he'd be telling me a story about him with Churchill and I'd be like hang on a minute I've got to go on and he, he wouldn't let you go because he didn't realise you had a scene um, so it was amazing so yeah I had <laughs> quite a Quite an unusual start into uh, into the business in brackets in proper, I suppose. So you went from directing that, to then you won an award last year. Yes, yes, I won an award for directing um, Snow White at Aylesbury Waterside. Uh, they did the award ceremony at Wimbledon Theatre, uh, hosted by Christopher Biggins, the legendary Biggins. And I, I just wanted to talk to him about Rocky Horror Show, to be honest. But no, it was really lovely. It's um, it's an industry 
or a, a part of the, the industry that sometimes gets um, frowned upon, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But without that industry, most theatres in the country can't run. They can't afford to sustain it. So when I'm directing, you know, when I said direct at Bristol Hippodrome, I was very conscious that the money we made from that show carried that theatre for a lot of months afterwards. So it's important for theatres. But also, it's become such a big business, the the quality of the the names and the the people and the performers, every year just gets better and better. and, And the scripts get better because audiences have so many choices of what they watch now to get them into a theatre you've got to make sure your product is good enough and it's you can't just say oh it's just panto anymore it doesn't work yeah. you've got to give them something good so well you know you've done them yourself it's yeah. uh, I'm a big champion of, uh, of panto so so win an award for it in its first year as a, as a mainstream event cool. best director yeah best director yeah it was lovely we got nominated for best show best comic and best director so, so you've nice. gone from being like as it, uh, I mean, you're big in football when you were younger. Mm. Musical theatre. I had certainly one of the best voices that I heard oh, um, when you were over there. It, certainly, uh, as a tenor, you had an enviably high range. It's amazing what you can do when you stand on your foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, uh, when you graduated, you kind of feared away. Like, obviously, um, like you, you worked at McLaren with me for a little mm. while as mm. well, and, and and Chris. So that was essentially like presenting. So. And your Robot Wars live yeah, presenter, yeah, yeah. and also what's the, what's the other one? What's the new one? Oh, Extreme Robots. Extreme Robots. Yes. No, it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, live presenter, and uh, this is the, this is the thing, and this is the thing that I'm, again I'm going to come back to, to drama school, and the, the, for people who are listening to this who perhaps are training or who are young actors or are thinking about going to drama school, and go, I, I'm in this box. You, you're never ever in any box mm. and also it comes down to um, I was doing sem- a wrestling seminar last week and saying that you may ignore every single thing that I say in this and you may just take out one sentence of all this or you may listen to all of it it's about the application of choosing what you learn and how it applies to you mm. so for example we were both we joked about this on the way here both at, at, at drama school we were told that our voices were both well, for one better and fucked. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was told that nobody would have I don't speak with much of a Geordie accent anymore, partly mm. because of this. But I got told, oh, you'll, you know, you'll, no one will be able to understand you if you don't speak in a received pronunciation. You're obviously a Portsmouth lad and Portsmouth. Yeah, I, when I auditioned uh, the year before and they asked me to come back when I was a bit older, even though I was older than everybody already going, <laughs> but I sounded about five. Um, <laughs> the voice teacher at the time who wasn't there when we were actually went to, to Guildford, pulled me into the office and spent 10 minutes kind of tearing me apart really and asking me to do quite ridiculous voice things and then go and see, you, you, you can't talk properly, you can't talk properly, you'll never be able to do this, you, you know, you've got, a, you've got a silly tongue and you do these silly things and you, you sound really common, you know, as if it was some sort of derogatory thing, I know it's not perfect for everything but it really tore me apart and I could have quite easily have taken that and never come back but... I watch EastEnders. I know there's a market for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hey, hey, Chris, uh, what have you made a lot of money doing over the last ten years? Voiceovers. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah. So that was a bizarre thing, really. I, I sort of fell into voiceovers because I'd been trashed, you know, at the early stages for the voice that I have and my addiction and, and various other things, which I did work at. I didn't sort of leave it and say, oh, you know, whatever. I did try and work at it. Um, it was something that I'd never considered um, and 
somebody oh, we were doing a, a voice job together it was a, a, we were doing a, a potted version of West Side Story I think it was in the garden studios. yeah in Kingston in Kingston like the guy who does the um, voiceovers for the chief yeah yeah okay. uh, Richard so and, and one of the, the ladies that was there said you should do voiceovers you sound five and I was like thanks I think I don't know and then she rang her agent I spoke to her agent and he said no I'm not looking for a voice at the moment and then called me back and said you, you do sound stupidly young and obviously common as muck um, and I need that right now so um, and then I've been with them for 12 years and that's I kind of fell into it and then yes and since then I've been doing done cartoons and adverts and computer games and uh, films yeah yeah yeah. I've just been working on some really nice projects actually um, so yeah just kind of doing all that so it's been 12 years and without that I wouldn't have been able to do Eugenius because you know you've got to have something to sustain you when other things are not working so I'm incredibly grateful for for that more than anything really I think. How do you feel when and uh, I know everybody's got a different opinion on this when not necessarily people who trained us but I know it has been said to me in the past is that when young actors are told uh, or young performers that if you've got a plan B then you're not fully invested in plan A. Mm. I think that's a scare tactic and it feels very old fashioned. It feels like something that comes out of the fame film or something like that. Yeah. It, it's, there's not a lot. I think what I learned early on is, and that may be from going to auditions before going to Guildford, is when you go into an audition, they're looking for a particular thing a lot of the times, whether that be a look or you know a, a, a physicality or whatever it may be. And sometimes we don't all fit into that box. So you might go for a spate of shows in London or on tour, or whatever, where you just don't fit into what they're looking for. If it's you know, if you've got a particularly classic look, and all the shows are really modern, chances are you're probably not going to get. So then, what are you supposed to do? You know, if you sit at home and wait for the phone to ring, it probably won't. You have to get off your backside and do something. And if that means, you know, doing something else for six months and just waiting for it to pick up, but keeping your brain occupied and keeping financially stable, so that when it comes back round, you can go and audition. It's a crazy thing to tell people, you know, to, to back away from it because it's just the way the business works. You're not always going to be suitable. I think the thing I always try and say to people is, don't always assume it's because you're not good enough. As I said, I, when we were casting our show, we had some incredible people coming in, but they don't always fit what you're after. Yeah. And if you were just purely going, they're amazing and we'll find something for them to do, then we we'd use them. But yeah. if they don't fit the criteria of the part, we can't can't do anything about it. So. It's very hard to appreciate that when you're in drama school because you're in a bit of a bubble and often you get cast, or you, purposely, you get cast in roles that you're never probably going to play because they try and give you a rounded experience. Yeah, because it's an educational like, yeah. uh, experience. But then you've got a drama school and you're never going to do that or yeah. it's very unlikely you're going to be playing those parts. So. Speaking of educational as well, and this is something I firmly believe, is that you learn a lot more on the job mm. than you can in any rehearsal room. Massively so, massively so. You you learn about how to behave in the environment, um, and it is very different in a professional environment. You learn how to work with uh, you know the, the stage crew and the etiquette of a theatre. I think even more so now. I mean, it's something that's uh, I don't know what they do at drama schools now for this, but we're in a world of social media now where whatever you say or do is easily scrutinised online. So when you're doing contracts and you're working on shows now. 
um, you have to sign something to say that you will represent that show in the right way. Now, Not before no it would no just be comments, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When we came out, it was like, don't be an idiot in the pub after a show, and that was yeah. it. Whereas now, you have 24 hours a day, you can be monitored, or you know, whatever you say can have an effect on the show. James Gunn's just gone through that with his films. So, <laughs> you realise that everything that you've just said in the last like few minutes. 100% applies to wrestling as well. Mm, mm. It is literally learning on the job, the etiquette of working with people, um, of how to work with directors or promoters in, in our case. Um, one of the, the things that I had to um, adjust to, having gone from being um, an actor to being a wrestling promoter, was I was essentially on the other side of the casting yeah. table. And I know that's something that you've gone through. Like Again, I remember going to the King's Head Theatre in, in Angel for a show that was like £90 a week in front of four people who I went, I, I have no idea who you people are, but they were essentially, and this is why you have to have, to have such thick skin in both, in both wrestling and the entertainment industry, is you just feel like you're being judged. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's the gig. Yeah. Like sometimes you, you are going to be judged and you have to develop thick skin. So to move on to the, the other side of it and then to put it together, in my case, a card and what have you, sit down with Jim and John, but it isn't necessarily always about who is the absolute best today. Mm -hmm. It's about this is the circus and who fits the role that we need in order to make our shows the best possible thing. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of actors maybe don't understand or don't get, particularly when they're younger, is if you are equally as talented as the two other people who are in the finals, and I know the word finals, so yeah, like, yeah, I guess yeah. I say it as well, I be like, oh, I'm down to the finals, yeah. so we all lock you. You don't know what that fucking means. No. Like, that no, could be all, 25 people, it could be Exactly, and they never say that, yeah, so we all say, say you're down to the finals, dear. Yeah. The agent goes, oh, you're down to the finals. Yes. Yeah. And you know, maybe that's say, for example, there's three of you. If you don't fit the costume of the guy who's leaving that show, say it's a West End like, mm. you know, um, turnover, the other guy who does for the costume is going to get the job. It can be the case. There are shows that will be like that. And also, you sometimes have a situation where somebody's already been cast or is staying on in a production, and if you don't match up with them for whatever reason, whether they don't want someone taller, shorter, whatever it may be alongside them, then that's going to hinder you as well. Now, generally, they try and weed that out in the early process, mm -hmm. but... There are times where you go into an audition, the person may not have decided whether they're going to stay or not, so they have to keep the. So, you, so again, you're balancing somebody else's yeah. negotiation process yeah. as well. Yeah. So you don't you don't know, and I think as long as you are aware of that and are savvy to that, then you can let it go. And I always think when I go to audition, I know if I've done I don't really, you know I, I know if I've done something wrong or I've not done it well. But if I come out and I feel that like I've given it my best, if I don't get it. I just don't beat myself up about it. I go, right, there's a reason why maybe they didn't like me or maybe it's because I don't fit their criteria and that's the only way I can keep doing it because yeah. it, you are pouring your heart out every single time you walk into that room because you're showing them everything you want to do and everything you think you are and all of the talents you've got in two minutes or whatever it is and you've trained for three years and you've got no time at all to try and show them. So if you go down the route of uh, letting it beat you up and taking it to heart all the time it'll just it'll just destroy you um, and and it must be the same you know with, with wrestling as well where sometimes the the angles or the things that you guys are doing somebody who's super talented might just not fit within what you're doing at the moment but they've got to understand that those times come and that it will all come back round again as long as they keep going. It's, you know, it's I literally, I'm just looking out the window here and I can see the long echo, yeah. I'm not sure what it's called, I think it's five guys. 
and I used to work there from, so myself and Dave lived together in a, a, a flat in, in Oval in London, and he worked as... Um, oh, it was one by Trafalgar, Al- wasn't it? Albanac. Yeah, yeah. Scottish bar. And we used to go to work at about, let's say, mid- midday to two. And this is like six, six days a week, uh, probably, probably the, 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 the high, I want to say highest point, maybe the lowest <laughs> point, and work till maybe four in the morning. And they would meet up and we'd go to the casino, which is now a different one. It's like the hard, the hard rock um, opposite. Uh, G casino now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gar- yeah. Um, And they would go there for an hour because the drinks were free if you were gambling. Yeah. Um, back when alcoholic drinks were free, and we'd have now there, we'd go to bed about three, four in the morning, and then we'd do the same thing every day unless we had an audition, um, and that was to stay afloat mm. because it was the only job that offered us the freedom to audition whenever we wanted because then you were just like hey I've got an audition in three days time can you find somebody else to cover your shift yeah um, I know a lot of people they like uh, phone um, uh, phone, uh, phone conferences uh, like help desks yeah and, like reception and marketing never to be somebody what's the thing at Harrods like oh you're you spraying know, stuff the agency the, yeah, yeah 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 and so I'm sure there are people who listen to this right now. And go, yeah, I work in Harrods. Yeah. Or, or yeah, I. Well, that's the other thing as well. Is is auditions are generally, you know, they only find out a couple of days before the the actual audition itself. And once you've gone past the first round, they generally start throwing material at you. So, you know, in our case, we gave them say, I think in some cases like three songs and three scenes. Now, if you're having to work around other auditions and things. You got to find the time to actually prep, yeah. um, which is a very important thing. Prep, please prep. I've seen a lot of people coming in, recent graduates and stuff, and you can tell the ones that have worked at it and haven't. And that obviously immediately puts into my mind whether I want to work with them or not. Yeah. Whether I'm directing or I'm working on a project as a writer or something like that. So, but yeah, it's hard to find a job that allows you to jump out last minute. I've had a phone call. Can I go this afternoon? You know, it's yeah. it's really difficult. But I suppose London, it's a lot of people do it, so they must. Yeah. Must be, yeah. Um, and when you say about prep as well, it again applies 100% to, to, to wrestling. Obviously, you need your reps in the ring. Mm. You need to make sure that you know you're, you're up to scratch with your, your talking abilities. But also, even just when approaching, it's the same. I suppose when you're approaching an agent, if you if you send us an email, like I'm talking about progress now, mm-hmm. obviously with the company that meets you and Jono, we've had emails that have gone, "Hey guys, I'm just wondering if you're looking for a new ring announcer." And you're like, "How do you not know the gym?" Who owns a third of the company is arguably the top babyface yeah. and the ring announcer. Yeah. Like that sort of prep is surely very, very easy. I mean, nowadays, like you mentioned social media earlier on, it's so much easier to find out anything about anyone, which is why even when you're an actor and you're not in work, mm-hmm. you need to keep your fucking social media tight. Massively so. I bet yeah, yeah, you've yeah. gone on people's stuff to see. And another thing is, well, like, the amount of followers you have if you have a following yeah. through something else some other endeavour whether you were I don't know an entrepreneur or you were uh, involved in a reality TV programme which was, we went we lived through the reality TV like kind of infiltrating yeah. theatre well generation. I have a lot of them <laughs> me yeah. too yeah. <laughs> it's called Panther yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and that that but there's a reason but like the theatre industry is not where it was no. 50 years ago, 20, even 20 years mm. ago. And in order to sell tickets, people need an angle. Mm. And they sometimes need to, quote unquote, I don't like using this term, but I'm going to because I'm with you, stunt cast. Mm. Where you bring somebody in who maybe isn't as talented as somebody who's just graduated from film mm. school and 
you know, maybe he's in this talented thousands of people, but they're going to sell tickets, and one must always remember that this is show business, not show friends. Yeah, I do think London is getting is getting better for that. Uh, I think that has been a phase that doesn't see. I, I don't notice it as much anymore in terms of what you know the stunt casting, but in the provinces or in regional theatres. Uh, where they've got to turn over things weekly, the need to have a hook to get an audience in when there's 51 other weeks of programming to come sometimes means that needs to be there a little bit more. Like, for example, if you're bringing a new a new show, like a newly written show or something that's a little unknown to a theatre, and they've got a very limited time to, to market it and sell it, sticking a, a recognisable face in it or someone that's got an angle on it allows them to use that and then they come and see them and then the show gets out that way. Yeah. So slightly different, I think, in, in, in the regional theatres in London now. But yeah, it, I mean, I people get really frustrated with with this with the, the, the names going to shows and things. I take a slightly different approach to it that sometimes theatres difficult and, and it's hard to get a show on and hard to sell tickets for a show and if we sometimes if a name has to go into something to keep a show alive or to get a show on full stop and it gives 15 20 other people work I, I I'm I'd rather that than not have a show at all because sure it's you know necessary evil yep sometimes yeah 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 sometimes and, and often they you know they can be pretty good I think we just like to assume that they can't do something. Um, I'm sure that there are many wrestling fans right now who would argue that Brock Lesnar is exactly that, and that he sells tickets when he's there, but doesn't work the schedule as everybody else. But is he? Do you have the same level of notoriety as him? Have you achieved the same things? Well, and I see his name every day on social media, and he ain't doing a lot. Yeah. So he's doing something. You know, it's working. Yeah. Um, it should be full disclosure as well that. Uh, that you are a big wrestling fan. Massive wrestling fan, yeah, yeah. I'm still hoping for my, my title shot, to be honest, <laughs> so just putting this out there now. Um, yeah. And that's probably one of the things that we, we bonded over when we were at, um, at drama school. Um, but I think it's something that you, uh, as well as myself, have, um, you see the similarities massively between the, the two industries. Um, Hugely, it's incredible crossovers, really. Um, I should also point out that uh, Glenn and I possibly, after... I think we'd gone to see a show, may have stayed out for a little bit too long and possibly had a impromptu wrestling match in the middle of Leicester somebody Square. Somebody gave somebody a pile driver. In the middle of Leicester Square. And, and a randomer may have been the referee and counted the three. Might <laughs> um, cut this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, might, that, that was before my, before my respectful progress wrestling days. Jimmy would have been proud. He would have. Shoot pile driver in the middle of Leicester Square. Um, uh, don't try this at home, folks. Yeah, please don't. It really hurts. Try it in public. Yes, <laughs> that's why you should do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you've been to uh, obviously to, to, to wrestling shows before. Um, you you understand the live experience, like kind of emulating being very similar to, to to the actual experience, and you know how TV's made as well. So yeah. I think that uh, it's always interesting to sit down and talk wrestling with you because I think part of the reason why. Progress has been so successful as myself, John, and Jim aren't wrestlers. Mm. And so we look at it from the entertainment mm -hmm. side of things. Sometimes the wrestling side is it, it, it's certainly secondary at points in terms of furthering storylines. Mm -hmm. um, 
but that's again a necessary evil in order to to create compelling compelling stories. But you're also a writer, mm. so then from that side of it, you understand that you, you have to sacrifice certain bits here and there in order to, to make the whole story. Oh, oh definitely, you've got to think about you've got to get your own ego out of the way at times and think about what's servicing the piece the best um, and you might have these amazing ideas but out of context of the whole story they don't work and, yeah. but they might work some other place somewhere down the line I mean you know the the, 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 the stories that you guys build I, I often I'll text you when I've seen one of your the promos one of the guys has yeah. done online and for me the engagement on the story side of things is amazing and it makes me invest in what's going to happen in the ring because there's some psychology to it there's something more than just these two guys are going to wrestle for 10 minutes I'm sure they're both very talented that's great but I if there's, if there's something behind it even better you know. so I had this conversation last night um, uh, last night was chapter 74 mm. and that's why I'm a little bit husky today so yeah. I'm offering a nice contrast to your, <laughs> to, to your voice today um, uh, I didn't get quite excited, uh, no spoilers, but uh, I was chatting to um, one of the guys about physicality and it was raised that um, basically you, the two guys had an issue, one guy wanted to take out the other one after his match uh, and then we had a conversation with another wrestler and we basically there was more value in them not touching each other because down the line then you care more about the physicality yep. because realistically physicality should be the last point you get to in, in a social situation yeah. for example we're in a bar now somebody's been a dickhead in the corner um, we have a bit of a tete-a-tete verbally you, you don't just walk in and punch him in the face no 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 you, you talk first in the same way that, that that final point of contact where like you like Mark Andrews and Eddie Dennis at this point like the physicality between them it means a lot because it's been spoken about yep. for so long <laughs> I can't believe I used this example but you will 100% understand from our presentation classes with a guy called Jerry Tebbett God bless Jerry. Um, yeah, when we were at GSA, and presentation classes were essentially where we would just take a song in each week um, and you perform it in front of your peers and you'd be critiqued on it. Mm. And it's much worse singing in front of your friends and, and perhaps people who aren't so, so much your friends at yeah. uh, drum school than it is. But I remember Jerry Tebbett saying to me once after this, he's like, the only reason that songs happen in musical theatre is because you can no longer keep in what you want to say or express it just in words you have to move to song to yeah. express it yeah. and I was like <laughs> I was trying to explain this last night to a couple of wrestlers and they're like yeah I think we get the the same thing but it is the same thing it is it's, exactly the same you, thing you're, you're yeah, building yeah. to some kind of crescendo although my little godson uh, once said when he was in um, uh, when I was in Panto in Newcastle uh, he was brought along by his uh, um, his mum um and she said, which bits did you like the best? And he was like, oh, I like this song, I like the dancing, I like this, that, and the other. And she said, which bits did you like the least? He said, the bits where they stop talking and you know they're going to start singing. <laughs> and I was like, that's the cracks. You've got to fill the cracks. Yeah, yeah, if it, it come, if, it, if it comes a mile away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just in terms of what you were saying about the, you know, the, the, the no contact and stuff, some of my favourite, and I'm sure some wrestling fans will hate me for saying this, but some of my favourite moments and some of the most iconic moments in wrestling have been stare-downs between wrestlers. I mean, The Rock and Hogan. Hogan yeah. Those sort of moments. They didn't need to go anywhere near each other. You knew what was coming. If they'd have just run at each other and done it, then it would have killed it. So just having those stare-downs and allowing them to go away and build that anticipation is 
for me, there's a lot more. There's a lot more mileage to that. I think. I will. I will play devil's advocate here mm. and say that those stare downs between people who have perhaps a, a a rivalry that's been built on a verbal battle works. Then I watch something, and to this day, it still knocks me more than anything else. Yeah, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels. I mean, AJ's wife had been involved. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all sorts of other stuff, and then the bell rang and they circled each other three times oh yeah that's slightly different yeah yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> and yeah. you're just like yeah. why aren't you killing each no, other no if you if, for me the, the part of the story is that you don't there's got to be something that stops them from getting towards each other and then that from an audience point of view is is the build up you think they're going to come together and someone gets in the way and stops it but the minute they're allowed in the vicinity of each other that's why I always used to think and I think Brock did it on one of his matches the one of the three does a year um, <laughs> where where they put a million people in the ring between them and I think it, was in, it might have been him in Taker actually or something was it, was it Goldberg it might have been Goldberg, yeah. yeah. Where they just got they've got them all apart, and and so they physically can't get together, and then you think they're going to, and then they get pulled apart. But yeah, if you've got two people in the ring and there's nothing to stop them, then just beat the shit out of each other. But that's, that's uh, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. there is a certain part of that. Any big fights in Eugenius? Yeah, there's a punch. <laughs> that's it. In, in in the beginning of the show, is a heavily choreographed punch. No, no, no. But no, no fighting. We fought on stage before. Yes, in Footloose. Yes, and I, I saw a picture today, and it does look like we are sort of doing some sort of 1980s style <laughs> wrestling moves. Yeah, going on there. yeah. It, does look, it does look very 80s. Yeah. Okay, so, Eugenius. Segue. Um, yeah, just, just chew on that in there. Um, Eugenius opens uh, officially a lot longer ago than... If you can say open, soft opens and cold opens and all these other things. So, yeah. So, right, let's, let's actually, I'm going to do this another way. Let's not talk about Eugenie's opening now. Let's talk about where the idea came from. Yeah. So, uh, Ben Adams, who's my writing partner on the show, and I had spent years, really was years, sitting, watching shows, going to the pub afterwards, dissecting them. Um, and then ended up always saying we could do something like this yeah. we should do something like this because often what we'd find is you know, we'd like the show but we'd be like we would have done this or we would have done that or we'd like to do this and so the only thing you can do to change that is by creating your own thing I don't like it when people just moan about other people's stuff if you don't like it do something yourself hi welcome to progress well yeah exactly <laughs> so if you're not happy with a product create your own or go away basically yeah. so we said well let's have a go and we talked about it for ages but it's 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 not an easy thing to start because every time you sit down to come up with an idea often it's been covered or someone else has got something similar or, or whatever it may be but also because I'd been around theatre quite a lot and very different capacities I'm also I can't help it. I can't just I couldn't just write something I had to think right if we write this and we're gonna we want to do this properly how viable is it going to be to a producer or to a theatre because I don't think there's any point on your first show going to someone and go we've got this tiny little niche thing that four people are gonna like because chances are then no one's gonna back you for it and you'll put your heart and your soul into it and it won't get anywhere now if you do a few jobs and then come back to it when you've got a bit of a name and you can actually sell it in like that that's, that's different so I was trying to think of what could be viable so we decided to come up with a few ideas and then uh, Ben and, and this I this all comes from your love of comic books right? yeah 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 yeah. that was yeah. always a really prevalent 
piece. Massively. So yeah, I'd written a comic book for a year for a, a, a national paper, which shall remain nameless. Um, Forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did that for a year. So I'd, I'd, I love my comic books, and obviously, you know, superheroes are everywhere at the moment. So I knew there was a market for it, and it had been never really massively explored in theatre. Um, we had musicals in the 70s, and there was at the time Spider-Man was happening was being still worked on and obviously that was a bit of a disaster which made it put me off a little bit um but uh, so that was my starting point but ben and i just went out and had a few beers and ben's got a studio in his house so let's go back and just write a song let's just see how we work together because it's a very different thing being friends to actually working with someone you know you've got to see whether you can actually create something so we just had a few beers and, and then we went back and said right what let's just write a song what's it going to be about and i said i want it to be basically Flash Gordon the musical so I want it to sound 80s I want it to be very tongue-in-cheek I want it to be very fun very over the top let's just come up with some lyrics as a tester really put a song together and then see see how we get on and we finished about one in the morning and then listened to it and we really liked it got up in the morning and we were like you know clear heads and we're like actually this isn't this isn't bad so that became the basis of the show it was about a superhero called Tough Man and so it was a song sort of about him, but you know, done as if it was like Flash Gordon in the 80s, or one of those sort of B-movie things. And then, then the show was kind of, kind of grew out of that. And that song has not changed since the moment we recorded it. That is still the opening song in the show. Um, and I can never get past the fact that I wrote that after five points in Clapham. <laughs> so, and we were I never exactly denied that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, then what happens once you've got an idea, you start to, uh, you know. Get um, uh, expanded, so you expanded it, and then you reached out to like to, to people to come in record parts, what have you. Yeah. So what we did first was we we needed a, a few songs, sort of, to give us a bit of a, a bit of a repertoire. Um, we basically making like what I would call a demo. We made like a concept album, a short like you know three or four tracks sort of thing, really, okay. as a calling card for and, us. And music came before script. Yeah, I knew the story. Yeah. I had the shape. I had the synopsis. I knew what I wanted and to where do. Where did that come from? I, well, basically, I suppose it was uh, all of the films that I grew up with loving in the 80s. It was kind of, what do I love about them? It's the nostalgia and the feeling that they gave me. And taking sort of the, the heightened sensibility that they had in those films, like the Spielberg stuff, and trying to translate, translate that into a musical about a superhero. Yeah. And so the main character is kind of, you know, the main three characters are the Goonies for me, really. So it was kind of taking all of the things that I loved and trying to cram them into a two-hour show. Um, so we wrote four songs with a story in mind. We gave songs to four different characters. And we kindly got people like yourself to come in and uh, <laughs> help us out on some of the recordings so that we could go to investors or people and say, this is an idea we've got. We think it's viable and we can do this with it. Um, we weren't asking for any money, we were just saying, will you back us? Because in the day, if you haven't got anyone who's going to back you, you're writing it for yourself, yeah. which is lovely, and I'm sure my mum and dad would love to hear it, but I wanted it to be beyond my living room. Sure. There is... Did you want it to be commercially successful? I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the thing as well. There was an argument on Twitter earlier on today uh, about, you know, is the WWE the only aspirational place for people to want to go and wrestle now? And, it, and, it, and it's not. No. Because now independent wrestling is hotter than it's ever been. Independent wrestling is now, I would consider it, one of the hottest fringe 
theatre mm-hmm. kind of uh, draws in, in the UK. Yeah. Whereas fringe theatre isn't. Mm. So fringe theatre is getting in 50 to, well, actually, no, it depends where you go, of course, but let's say on average 50 to 100 people in one of the smaller theatres in London. Yeah, yeah. If theatres above pubs and what yeah, have you. Yeah. Where these shows come from yeah. originally, where, but, where they start. Whereas, you know, like wrestling's drawing maybe five to ten times that. Again, both industries are cyclical. What's old becomes new again. Mm. Um, but there was the argument about, you know, do, does it have to be uh, WWE? No, it doesn't. Not in wrestling at the moment. But I, I know from experience, having worked in commercial theatre for the majority of my acting career, I've always been in, dare I say, big, big shows, you know, the touring shows, the West End shows, um, that that's where you make proper money. Yeah, that's where you make the proper money. But also, I... I'd, I'd be very surprised if there are many wrestlers, whether they want to be at WWE or not, that don't want to be at a WrestleMania. Sure. Or one of those events, because, for me, that is, that's the World Cup final of... Whether it's Wrestle Kingdom or whether it's... Yeah, or any of those. Yeah, yeah, the, the big events, you know, in, in Japan and stuff, that they're, they're amazing. And, and, you know, but I'm only talking from what I, mm-hmm. I know. And, and for me, if I was a wrestler, to be on the car that... At WrestleMania, yeah. still yeah. holds that 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 is for me is the the holy grail. So then, is that how you view Eugenius in the you? Like you said, we're, we're, we're kind of like we're in the midst of the story at the moment. Yeah. But did you go? I want this to be on uh, the the window. So I want this to be on uh, the uh, the playhouse. My dream for the show, and part of that dream has come true when I wrote it with Ben we said we wanted to be the new Rocky Horror Show. Okay. Now, we want to be the new Rocky Horror Show now, which is 40 years on and has very, a worldwide and appeal. a very different world as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a much broader appeal. But, with that being said, we wanted to take the journey that Rocky Horror had taken as well. If you want to become a cult show that runs for that long and you can put it on anywhere and people will come dressed up in the costumes, you've got to earn it. We can't go 40 years down the line. So we knew the path that we wanted to take was to start it slowly and build it up. Now, we did do something a little bit not so small and not so slowly by going into the Palladium for a tester. Yeah. But there was a reason for that, which we'll maybe come, come back to. Yeah, but, but we wanted to grow it. And being in the other palace um, is a certain size that allows us to not stretch ourselves too far financially but also you know trying to fill a 2000 seater i don't care if we ever make it to a 2000 seater i want us just to be survive and to last for i want eugenius yeah i want eugenius to still be talked about in 10 years time you know not be a flash in the pan and it disappears forever that's the rocky horror model for me you can stick that in a, a 500 seater or a 2000 or whatever and it still holds up so um but i, I I want it to be successful. Um, it's not a money thing, really. I just—I've spent five years of my life working on it. I yeah. don't—I don't, you know, want—I don't want it to dis- disappear. I want people to enjoy it. We wrote it for everyone to have fun with, so I want as many people to do that as possible. Well, it is incredibly fun. Obviously, I've been involved in various stages of the process. Um, I might even play a clip of the original. Do it. Yeah. We recorded yeah, at the yeah. end of this because I don't believe that anybody actually realises that. I think people just think I played Buddy Hollyford. Yeah. No. No. I no. mean, I did. Play yeah. for my entire career. You, were, you much. were a massive part of our development. You came in on a, a time where the show was going through. You know, it was really the first time where 
um, we put it in, in front of anybody and so it needed critiquing. So you and the guys that were in that room were the reason why it became what it did and evolved. And if you guys hadn't have felt there was something there, and the reason why we worked with you and people like you is, although we're friends, you'll be honest about it. And, you know, I think we both are like that. It won't be just, well, this is great, you're working on something, I'll just do it. If it wasn't working, you'd let me know what wasn't right about it sure. and, and support it and make it right. So, you know, you've got a massive part to play for, for that. Well, <laughs> there's, it's kind of become full circle. So, obviously, uh, uh, any people who know me in the theatre industry know that one of my heroes is Alex Bourne. Mm. Alex Bourne played Buddy back when Buddy Holly Story was at the Victoria Palace. Where Hamilton is now, yeah. um, and he played at the, the Strand Palace, and he was there, you know, when it was when Buddy was the biggest show in the world. Uh, Alex was involved in it, uh, and then I had the uh, fortuitousness to be introduced to him by we shared the same agent, and then I did a video called Buddy Meets Buddy, which is still on YouTube somewhere. It's me in, uh, interviewing while he was playing Kashagi in mm -hmm. Rock You. And any time that I ever wanted to go to, to Wheel Rock U, Alex would give me the same seat and the bit where the thing swings over the top of the stage <laughs> and you always lean down and go, hello. And I'd be like, oh, very professional, Alex. Um, <laughs> and obviously he, he, he was my musical theatre hero. I wanted to emulate his career in some ways, did. What's really interesting for me now is that when, we, when I was in Ben's closet in his studio yep, yep. and I had the cans on and you were saying, we, we need to work out what Lex's voice is. And you said that it's kind of like Jack Nicholson, but with a bit of CM Punk. Yep. And I was going, bloody hell, there's a niche reference that <laughs> not many actors would be able to get. And I wonder if now, whether at the end of this podcast, when people listen to this, if they go, can, can I hear Jack Nicholson or CM Punk? But I think uh, that was that was a re that was fun. We spent a few hours in that incredibly warm closet slash yeah. vocal yeah, yeah. and just played with it. We were we were trying to find what what it was and actually grow grow the characters out from there because we hadn't finished. So it meant we could still, you know, give it some give it some life. It was it was an amazing process. We had some unbelievable people that came in and did those Amy recordings. Lennox. Amy Lennox came in. We had uh, Sharon D. Clark who the week before had won the Olivier Award. Um, and was amazing and Warwick Davis came in who's obviously one of our producers on it now um, we've had some um, we've been incredibly lucky with the people that have given their time and that's what's lovely about theatre and I'm sure it's the same in, in wrestling as well is if you've got someone that's got something they want to work on and they they can demonstrate that they are actually genuine about it and there's a passion and they actually want to put some work into it others will get behind them and support them and help them I think there's a lot of people that say they want to do things but really they don't and but people can see that coming yeah. whereas we had so many people that took the time to, to help us you know we wouldn't be there without many 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 people and so to close off my Alex Bourne story as well directly related to that you obviously have had numerous casts over the course of it where there have been development like mm -hmm. what I call development cast and then um, like the, the, the you I again similarly to wrestling as a company grows you attract bigger names yeah 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 um, so obviously the Lex, the, the original character that we did at, at, um, at Ben's place uh, in the studio and we developed and the song was written and I sung on that and what have you. So then go full circle, you released your casting mm. for the uh, for the other palace for your second run, which is pretty incredible to be you know, invited back oh, to. It's very nice. First to, time I think it's happened there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, was going to say, I yeah. think it is the first time. Uh, and we'll talk about all the, you know, the, the, the details about the other palace slightly later, but when I looked down the cast list that came out, 
yesterday? Yes, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so this is a good time to be doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I looked down and went, I was going, oh, I wonder who's playing Lex this time. I said, Lex, Alex Bourne. And I was like, finally, I got a job before he did. <laughs> it's like, oh, Alex is amazing. And actually, going back to what you were saying about prepping and, you know, uh, the professionalism in, in the career, Alex has just spent the last year or so playing a massive lead in the West End playing Daddy Warbucks and Annie mm-hmm. and he's obviously played the parts that you've mentioned there but he still wanted to come in and, and read for a role that he already knew because he wanted to, to show that he you know that he was still around and wanted to do it because he was involved in one was, of the yeah the early stages yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and then he obviously got the tour and stuff so he's been he's been very very busy um, but he came in and, and, and met us um, which I was incredibly honoured by because he's, he knows it and I, I didn't expect him to but he wanted to show that he was he was there and support the show um, so the fact that we've got him uh, is is so great he's, he's going to be amazing I mean he was he was great when he did the workshops and I think we've honed the part and the show now and I think he'll appreciate what we've done with it and I think he'll be he'll be fantastic. He's such a good performer, and he's such a great person to have in a rehearsal room as well. You you don't when, when, particularly with a show like ours, which is you know it's just meant to be good fun. We're not trying to change the world. You want a room full of people that are going to be nice, really. Yeah. Um, and you've got to spend a lot of time together, particularly other palace where there's it's the, the the backstage area is quite small. If you've got people that are going to be tricky. It's, it's not great. We could do a whole other podcast. Yeah, just yeah I can imagine. Stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's yeah. not. Just be nice. That's yeah. all you got to be. Just be nice. Well, that, that's that's one bit of advice I'd give to, to a lot of like young wrestlers as well. Is just be nice to everybody. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't cost anything. Like, yeah. and you will get a reputation. Yeah. Because people do talk. Yeah. Um, and uh, Alex has always been one of those people. I know he's gone to bat for me a few times. Um, and he's yeah, he's uh, somebody who. I, from going from my musical theatre hero to really consider a, a friend, mm. even even just a, a good acquaintance, like you know, like just um, I think he's, he, that's great casting. When I saw the cast list go out yesterday, I thought that was fantastic. And you mentioned the term workshop, so in order to, for people who maybe listen to this who don't understand yeah. the, the process, yeah. could you simplify the process from idea of mm-hmm. genius to getting to putting it on stage in London? Yeah. So you write a script. Now, how many people are in the room working on that is dependent on who you want to work with, really. Ben and I wrote the show together, and then our producers and our creative team at the time, which is a director and musical director and those sort of things, come together and help you hone that idea. And then at a suitable point in that development, when you feel you've got a shape to the show, you will hold a workshop where you'll get a group of actors that don't know it from Adam to come into the room and read it. Sometimes in front of an audience, so you get a sense of whether jokes are landing or responses are there. It's probably like a spot in in wrestling, very similar sort of thing. Um, Or you just do it in a room and then you write and make notes about, you know, from your own opinion of whether whether things work or not. We were lucky enough that we had a a week-long workshop. Anyway, a week or two weeks workshop where we would literally every day work on a scene or work on parts of the show and at the end of the day discuss it I'd make notes about what everyone's feedback was come back and you change it and try and improve it so that by the end of the week or the two weeks or whatever it is hopefully the show is better than when you started so that's the workshop shop stage we had I want to say five of those mm-hmm. before we so five week to two week workshops yep behind closed doors yep 
uh, yeah, and then on the fifth one, we uh, invited a limited number of people into a room and did it like a what I would call a radio play, which is where you're not really performing. I'm trying to think of the way, but you're not really acting it, the scenes out as such. Yeah, it was like a radio play. It was like a concert radio play. So they would do the song standing up behind um, sort of lecterns with their scripts. So everyone had their script in hand and you would do it as if you were recording a podcast or a radio play with everyone facing front. And you'd get an audience reaction and then afterwards you'd ask them what their thoughts were and you'd, get, and you'd go away and you'd, you'd develop it. And then hopefully by that stage you've got a show that you can then pitch to... Uh, a venue so whether that be a fringe venue or a venue out of town so out of London or in London a smaller venue or something like that or invest other investors that's where you get to um, we took a slightly different route because no one knew the name of Eugenius no one knew what it was about yes. so our producers took the rather unusual um, stance of okay we could do this above a pub and invite a few people in and present it that way or we can go to the biggest theatre in London for one night, invite everybody that's everybody within the West End and showbiz, whatever, and so do the show uh, in a concert format, and then everybody will know what the show is, and then hope that they like it. And so that's what we did. We did a one-nighter with an amazing cast at the London Palladium in front of two and a half thousand people, uh, which is quite a big workshop, um, and then as workshops go, yeah, and then we were trending on Twitter. So by the end of that night, whether you were there or not, people knew what Eugenius was. So that when we went to meetings or when we were looking to further the show, and we said we're doing Eugenius, they go, "Was that the show at the Palladium?" or whatever it was. Yeah. So that's what they decided to do, and then we got reviews, a lot of reviews and a lot of feedback, obviously online and stuff like that. Took the show away again, did some more work and then took it to theatres and we had a meeting with the other palace whose remit really is to develop new musicals. Andrew Lloyd Webber bought the theatre and he wanted to develop new British musicals. So we met with the artistic director um, Paul Taylor Mills who's a fantastic guy who'd had great success with things like In the Heights which was written by the same guy as Hamilton and had done very well in his own right and was the artistic director and he met with us we sent him the scripts and he sat down and we had this whole pitch about what we wanted to do and try to prove to him we were worthy of the venue and he was like i get it let's do this like within five minutes and then he was like how do we make this work how do we help you and then they wrapped us in a nice little blanket and took us in and and that's when we got our first venue um anyone who's thinking about writing a show or writing anything in general don't think it's a quick fix. Um, by the time we'd gone to the other palace, our opening night was exactly, just by chance, four years to the day that Ben and I got drunk and wrote Tough Man. <laughs> so a long process. It's a long process, and you're not getting money for that. Uh, you might get a little bit up front, but it ain't, it's not going to cover a lot, which is why when I said earlier on about having strings to your bows, doing other things to keep you going when you can't work, like voiceovers or other jobs, Without those things, I wouldn't have been able to do it because I had to spend weeks and weeks and weeks in Ben's studio or, or just writing and knuckling down and getting the script ready for investors or whatever it may be. So you have to have those little pockets of money coming in to, to do that yeah. and a very supportive family or wife in my, my case on this. So yeah, that's kind of the general journey. Right. Um, and then you go from there, you build up and then we've been asked back to the other palace um, for another run after we, we did well there. And it so was, when was your first run? 
Uh, we were there from January to March. And the next ride starts on September the first, and we're there until mid October, I think it is. Just in time for Panto. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Um, so you said earlier on, and uh, I've been inclined to agree with this without sounding like yeah, in any way egotistical. That I've always been honest mm. about it. It is uh, like probably the best new show I've seen in a while. This is a respect of my opinions of you mm. and Ben, like I, I like Ben a lot, but it's something that you could arguably take, and this is why I think it's going to be so successful, and this is why I wanted to sit down and have this podcast with you, because I believe that it, it needs to have as, as many eyes on it as possible, mm. because I know that I could take my godson, who's 11 years old, and I could take my mother, who's mm, mm. <laughs> years old, uh, and I could take somebody who's the same age as me, or somebody in their 20s, or even, dare I say, a cynical kind of teenager. And I could take them to that, and they would leave humming, A, humming, oh, I'm not going to say which song, because everybody, yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll know, yeah, you'll yeah, know yeah, which song God, to yeah, yeah, yeah. But everybody left there with a smile on their face. And I think I came to the press night. Yeah. So there was there was drag queens, there was celebs. There was, a, there was a lot of celebs and some of them have been really lovely and supportive so it's been very nice. And it, yeah, there was, um, there was a, a good old bunch of, of people there and I didn't see one person who left there without a smile on their face and I think it's a, it's a very catchy musical, it's very, it's very accessible mm. um, in that the music and Ben to his credit is written incredibly, like, incredibly cleverly to make sure that whether you like musical theatre or whether you like pop music you're going to have something that caters for you individually. Yeah, and we should say as well, it's a, it's a, an 80s musical, so the music's original, but it's a love letter to the 80s, which is having a That's bit of a exactly resurgence. exactly the way I was going to describe it. it and it's, it's almost, it's your love letter to the Massively 80s. so, and, and so it appeals to our generation and, and older, but the 80s is massive at the moment for the younger generation as well, so they're tuned into that. And I think it's just some, there's something for everyone in the show, and a lot of the ideas in it are are universal, really. Um, and we've tried not to alienate people by being too geeky, but at the same time, there are the little Easter eggs and moments in there for the hardcore fans. And you know, you guys must do it when you're doing your uh, your pro. They're doing their promos and stuff. They'll throw in little lines and things that, unless you are there all the time, they might not always pick up on. But that's that's the whole point. You got stuff for everybody and stuff for the hardcores fans and things so um, yeah hopefully there's something for everybody um, I mean we're loving it we wanted to write a show that we wanted to go and see that we could have a laugh with have a beer afterwards with get the soundtrack on and just you know just have fun too and that's hopefully what it is so, so when's it up? 1st of September right and it runs until October. at the moment the 7th of October at the moment yeah what scope is that depends when this goes out <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, like t- tonight. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Well, let's just say the seventh of October. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've got a good, like, go forward nine week. Uh, I think it's six at the moment. Hang on. Yeah. September, October. Yep. That yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. That's just my terrible. So we're running. Yeah. So it's Tuesday through to Sunday, and on every Sunday performance, we are having what we call a super fan show, which we we tested at the last run, and people started turning up in their own versions of the superhero costumes, and we do a Q and A, so people get to ask about the show and we do giveaways we've, we've made a poster that was specifically only available on those super fan nights and again it was like an 80s love letter thing so they're all good fun um, and, and the theatre's fantastic it's got a 
brilliant gin bar that Andrew Lloyd Webber put in at a great expense. So if you do come along, you'll at least enjoy the drinks first. And, so. and where is it? The, the other palace. So it's um, it's over by Victoria. So um, it's right by obviously Victoria Tube Station and and the train station itself. And uh, it's across the road from Hamilton and it's across the road from Wicked. So, so basically, that, you can't miss it. You shouldn't miss it. it no. It's one of those. I mean, in my opinion, hidden gems of, yeah. of London because and the other place had kind of like a brand change. And I think that it's going to be one of those places where in five years' time everyone goes, yeah, but I saw it when it was at the other palace. And I, I hope that's what, you know, that you want. I think I think that's what definitely, you want. Definitely. No, definitely, definitely. And that's what we got. You know, we've got our own fan base now and they call themselves the Eugenies and, and they can start making trading cards and stuff like that. <laughs> so, but it's great. And, and, and the theatres had us and that went well and there was you know people that there was people that had been to see the show 25 times in our run and then Heathers is doing incredibly well in there at the moment and then we're going back in so I think the theatre is getting a nice little bit of momentum as well and it's an awesome theatre you can't get a bad seat in there no that, that's one thing that is fascinating about yeah. it as well is that even if you uh, d- dare I dare I say on slightly a budget mm. that it doesn't matter where you sit no, not, at all. not at all and who knows we might even be able to I don't know dig out a little discount deal I'm sure we can work something out mate maybe exclusively to the podcast let's do it let's do it force people to listen to it to be all your fans going like I'm going to get cheaper tickets this time right um, socials and the website how do people book Uh, they can go to the other palace website or eugeniusmusical.com and the twitter is at eugeniusuk instagram is eugeniusmusical I think that's it or mine is at Nelson Chris 82 I'm full of interesting facts you really are also one thing spell Eugenius E-U genius <laughs> that's G-E-N-I-U-S yeah yeah I think about that I, I, did, I did I was like yeah yeah, 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 yeah. that's it yeah. right um, fabulous thank you so much for thank that thank you very much um, and uh, I will undoubtedly be there as Eugenius takes the stage in London again amazing Jimmy Hammock I'm your biggest fan Chris Wilkins slash Chris Nelson there of course Jimmy Havoc's biggest fan and it's really interesting to talk to somebody um, in the entertainment industry who is a wrestling fan uh, to talk about the comparisons between uh, wrestling and theatre it is all entertainment uh, at the end of the day but um, yeah quite nice to to sit down and talk to Chris and um, I myself am incredibly proud uh, of what Chris and Ben and all of the team at Eugenius have achieved it had such amazing reviews when it came out before and it's got an incredible cast that we mentioned was announced the other day uh rob houchin who used to play marius and lemiz is um coming in to play eugene um neil mcdermott from eastenders and he's been in shrek and wind in the willows and what have you and of course uh playing lex hogan i'm going to come to that in a second is the the wonderful alex Bourne, who used to play buddy of course in the buddy holly story uh, back when it was the the biggest show in the world, um, and he's been Kashagi and We'll Rock You. He's been he's been everything really. Um, uh, any kind of lead male role that I think I've ever, ever aspired to be, Alex has played it, and uh, it's nice to know that Lex Hogan is now in the hands of uh, somebody uh, who can fully do it justice. And it's, uh, it, it, obviously, I, I'd clocked this before, and me and Chris had spoken about it, but I'd completely forgotten until I got home that the the main uh, bad guy. Uh, the top heel, if you like, in Eugenius is called Lex Hogan. And that just made me realise that there are very specifically uh, references all over Eugene as pertains to, uh, yeah, 
wrestling. <laughs> There's a lot of wrestling in there. If you're a fan of comic books, if you're a fan of wrestling, if you're a fan of entertainment in general, and you just want to go away and have one of those wonderful nights where you leave humming all of the songs, uh, I'd thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. Saturday the 1st of September till Sunday the 7th of October with Super Fan Sundays as well. Uh, you can check out everything at theotherpalace.co.uk for tickets. Um, it's going to be very good. And of course, there is the the wonderfulness that we have now of uh, um, this. This will probably make a lot of people who've, who've never you know heard me do anything uh, laugh. But uh, recorded for the original demo um, of Eugenius the Musical when uh, Chris and, and Ben basically said, "Let's just have some fun with it." Um, and it was you know three guys having a couple of beers in the studio, um, and this was the original and still made it. To the uh, to the show now uh, from Eugenius the musical the original demo uh, this is a little kiss ass with yours truly playing good old Lex Hogan. If you're looking for fame, then there's only one name you need: Lex and a kiss ass. If you've got an idea, but you know what, oh dear, you need Lex and. If you wanna be a small fish in the sea, go ahead. But if it were me, I know I'd wanna be with the best. With the little kisses. Was a joke. Now I'm cool, it's not coke, thanks to Lex! Now I love to kiss ass! I did porn! I was gay. I was dead. That's okay, we're with Lex! And now they all kiss some ass. And there's no pressure, but they call me Mr. Hollywood. And I'd hate to see you turn out like you're the bomb, dude. I didn't kiss ass because I thought it tasted bad. And I prefer the taste of integrity. He didn't kiss ass! Nope! And now I eat trash. <laughs> so, kid, are you ready to sign your life away? Uh-oh. I mean, sign up for a better life. What do you say? Well, I never really thought of myself as someone who likes to kiss ass. <laughs> oh, Eugene, Eugene, you kill me. No one likes to kiss ass, but the tingle of success on your lips is... Mr. Hogan? Yes? You you have something on your your nose. Do I? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Eugene. It's just so stressful having people kiss your ass. Tell me more. Well... I once met a guy with a movie to die for He said, Lex, maybe you should kiss ass And then everyone cried What? What happened? Well, he died, and so Lex Did a little kiss ass? Yes, and I sprinkled some magic over that tragic affair And I'm dreadfully good. Had a little kiss. 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 Had a little kiss.
Oh, there's a blast from the past. I uh, quite enjoy that, actually. EugeniusTheMusical.com, TheOtherPalace.co.uk. From Saturday, September the 1st, Eugenius is back in London, and it's going to be, I've no doubt, an incredible run. Um, and you really should get along to see it. If you have any interest in comic books, wrestling, uh, musical theatre, or um, it is one of those really good, um, I would imagine, like date night kind of things, because uh, it's a proper laugh, and you will leave um, on on an incredible high. Um, as for myself, we are now off to New York. Um, uh, coming up very shortly, uh, New York is the first stopping point in order to get to Philadelphia, then Boston, then New York, then Seattle, then Detroit, then Chicago on the Progress Coast to Coast United States tour. If you're listening in the States, tickets are available at Progress wrestling.com it would be wonderful to come see you i will of course be be there with jim john and all of the amazing progress uk talent we're very excited about it and um, if you'd like to send me an email um about the show or any requests or any feedback or whatever you have you can send it to glenn joseph robinson at gmail.com or you can find me on twitter at glenn underscore joseph facebook glenn joseph official instagram i think it's glenn underscore joseph as well i've never actually looked at what my handle is there but i imagine you just put in glenn joseph and i shall appear as if by magic thank you for listening to episode two with some very exciting things coming up in the future for life unplugged but thank you again for listening um and have yourselves a lovely day Mm -hmm.